Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life. Times get tough, or even if they don't, coming to you once again from Hot Springs Village, Arkansas, high atop the Highway 7 Ridge Line, from TSPN, the Survival Podcast Network Headquarters, a.k.a. The Ant Hill. Today is September 27, 2011, and this is episode 750 of the Survival Podcast. It's a Tuesday, so we're just getting started with the week, but it is 750, and that's not really a landmark episode, but it's kind of like halfway between two landmark episodes, 500 and 1,000. I wanted to do something special with 750, so I talked to my buddy Brian Black from ITS Tactical and said, hey, would you come on the show and do a show with me on your top 10? tactical skills for the common man. Not all your crazy, you know, Australian repelling that you and I like to do and stuff like that, and not your psycho fitness stuff where you can knock out 100 push-ups at a time, but the stuff for everybody, the stuff for the rest of the, the, the of America, the things that we should all take out of the tactical world and bring into our own lives. And he said, Absolutely, Jack. So I've got him standing by. So we'll have Brian Black from ITS Tactical with us in just a second. Before we do that, let's go ahead and take care of our sponsors. They do a lot to help take care of you. Sponsor of the day number one today, the Berkey Guy at Directive21.com. Now, what are you going to get from the Berkey Guy? Shocking as it may be, you're going to get Berkey Water Filtration Systems, which is something I believe belongs in every home in America is a good water filtration system. If not Berkey, somebody. But when it comes down to it and you say, Jack, what do you use? I use Berkey. I don't use Berkey because Jeff's my sponsor. I have other sponsors that are not specialists in water, but they have other water purification methods. Some of them are very good for field use and things like that, but I can have any water filter system I want in my home. And what did I choose to use? Actually, a Berkey water filtration system, and I bought mine. It wasn't given to me to uh, to say that. And I'll tell you what, uh, if I'm going to buy one, I'm going to buy it from Jeff because of all the people that I've talked to out there, when it comes to someone that always takes care of their customers, Jeff is the guy. He's also some other really great stuff uh, for your prepper lifestyle, so check out Directive21.com, and that's the number 2121.com today. Remember, the best way to always make sure you're dealing with our sponsors, go to the survivalpodcast.com, click on their banners in the right-hand margin, and you will know you're dealing with the right people. Next up today, ShelfReliance.com. Notice I said shelf, like stuff you the thing you put stuff on versus self like you yourself. Because Shelf Reliance are innovators in some of the most uh, cool food storage technology I've ever seen as far as uh, the systems to store your food, eat what you store and store what you eat. Uh, products like the Consolidator, the Pantry, and the uh, Harvest food storage racks are amazing and fit any size you need, down from small units to fit in your pantry or cupboard up to uh, large units that can hold over, you know, basically a half a ton of food. Uh, 800 cans or more, depending on how you configure the system. Uh, and do that in a very small footprint. And I'll tell you what, it, uh, it is so cool to be able to just go and grab something. And, uh, when you buy another one to replace it, you immediately are putting it to the back of the stacks to check them out. Also check out their Thrive brand of long-term storage foods. The best quality, best tasting long-term storage food I've ever eaten. Available in number 10 and some smaller size cans. Uh, next up today, remember, connect with me, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, the best ways to do that. Check out our forum. we got a lot of cool stuff going on there, over 8,000 members strong. Check out the gear shop. We have some really cool stuff in the gear shop. A lot of people are asking me, hey, Jack, those new shirts uh, that you debuted at the uh, Denver Expo, when are they going to be in the gear shop? We bought a bunch of them. We're selling as many as we can. Whatever is left... When we get done with Salt Lake City, we'll be boxed up and sent out to Tiffany and Rich in California. Those will be put in the gear shop, and then how they sell will depend on how we restock them. But uh, they're pretty cool, and they have the new branding on the back, One Nation Filled with Ants. That's the goal of the show, folks, to turn our nation from a nation of grasshoppers into a nation of ants that value preparedness the way that it was valued in just a few generations ago when our grandparents were still around. 
Last but not least, do consider joining the Member Support Brigade. If you do that, you'll get exclusive content available only to members. Uh, you'll get discounts to over 29 vendors. You'll get every episode of the Survival Podcast ever published in convenient zip files and blocks of 24 and a lot of other cool stuff like over $100 worth of free ebooks available for instant download. All right, folks, as I said during the introduction segment, we are fortunate today to have with us Mr. Brian Black from ITS Tactical. A lot of you guys are familiar with his site. I mention him a lot, put a lot of links to his site. He does the same back. Uh, Brian is an awesome dude. He's also a good personal friend of mine, so I'm not sure why it took this long to get him on the air, uh, but I harassed him today and said, we're going to do it today, and he said, cool. And uh, I'm bringing him on to talk about his top 10 tactical skills for the common man, for the everyday guy. Brian talks about some, some crazy stuff. He tortures himself climbing 14,000 foot mountains. Uh, he, you know, he, he went through hell week as, in Navy SEAL school. He, he was, he's one of those guys who like to do that stuff to the extreme. Uh, but he actually puts out a lot of information that I think is relevant to people in that world. And then all the way back to the regular everyday Joe six pack, uh, to live a more prepared life through some tactical knowledge. So Brian, thanks for joining us today on the Survival Podcast. Hey, Jack. Thanks for having me, man. appreciate being here. Cool, man. I thought this was a great way to kind of introduce you at a bigger level to our audience. And uh, before I do, though, just tell people maybe a little bit more about ITS Tactical for those of those, those people out there that haven't maybe been to your site yet. Sure, Jack. Uh, basically, what ITS Tactical provides is uh, gear reviews and skill set information for kind of the military, law enforcement, and everyday outdoor enthusiast crowd. Um, we don't like to really narrow our topic down to anything per se. We try to cover a broad range of, of different skill sets. Um, obviously, our gear reviews generally are um, more directed towards military and law enforcement, but we, we try to provide those reviews kind of in an everyday light to kind of give everyone an idea of, of how they could best use the equipment too as well. So, Very, very cool. ITS in a nutshell. Awesome. Uh, and, of course, we should probably mention ITS stands for? Imminent Threat Solutions. Very cool. And we'll find you at ITSTactical.com. Be links in the show notes today. But I challenged you. I said, okay, come to, come back with, to me with a list of ten top common man tactical skill sets that everybody should know. And the first one on your list, on, on this list, which I just think is awesome, by the way, is self-defense uh, combatives. And uh, kind of taking that down from the uh, the, the real high-level training force-on-force stuff to what you're really talking about for the common man, what are, you, what are you talking about there? Well, I guess when I say self-defense and combatives, um, I really like to use the term combatives more when I'm describing that kind of stuff. Um, I myself have been through a couple of different combatives courses, um, not only a little bit in the military when I was in and also kind of uh, afterwards as well, but really it's just kind of maintaining that edge to where you can defend yourself if you had to. I mean, that's really what it comes down to for the everyday person. You're not really going to be in a situation where you've got to <laughs> necessarily fight it out like Chuck Norris from Delta Force, but um, just having some, some basic skills that will enable you to defend yourself if you had to. What do you think are some of the most basic things people should learn about that that environment and being able to protect themselves? I mean, I'm a big uh, supporter of concealed carry. I know you are as well. We both carry. Um, so, I mean, obviously, if you can do that, great. But, I mean, what are your thoughts on maybe some less than lethal stuff or for people that live in a state where they don't have that freedom uh, that they can do that if they're not going to be the martial arts guy, they can still have a reasonable means of defense? Well, um, I really am a big proponent of just kind of maintaining your own skill set in a, in a self-defense way and not necessarily depending on a tool. Um, now everyone can have a knife on them or stuff like that, but, you know, the important thing to learn about a knife fight if you wind up getting in one is that you're going to get cut. So there's really no, there's no, uh, you know, skill set that's going to help you to, to avoid getting cut in a knife fight. And really when you bring it to that level, you're talking about a whole nother, you know, set of regulations that you've now, you're now using, you know, laws that are coming into play and things like that. So I'm more of a proponent of actual, you know, I guess in a sense, hand-to-hand stuff that you can do to to uh, defend yourself. So I mean, what somebody that's out there going, well, I've never been in a fight in my life, and I don't know what I would do if I was attacked. What, what would you give them as far as advice of getting started on on that? I would really say to to look into a combatives course um, to start learning that skill set in a sense. And um, that's not something we really technically have gotten too much into in ITS just because there's just a broad spectrum of things that you can learn. 
Um, I, for one, really like Sistema. I really like Krav Maga. I think those are probably the, the top two things out there that you can learn that will that will help you in your everyday life. And a lot of those not only depend on, you know, yourself as a whole, but also a lot of those preach uh, takeaways and things that you can do to defend yourself against an edge weapon or even a, even a gun in certain situations. I completely agree. I mean, those, those are the two that I would look into as well. I find them far more useful to the real world than something like uh, progressing through six belt levels and, and taking a test by doing the same form for, for four years. I don't mean to put that stuff down. I just know that even when I see a guy that's like a Taekwondo expert or whatever and you put him in an MMA ring, what he ends up doing to defend himself and fight looks nothing like uh, your typical uh, martial arts that you see classically in movies or in magazines or in training videos or anything else like that. Yeah, I completely agree with that. Um, you know, like I said, you don't have to be Bruce Lee or Chuck Norris to, to be able to get yourself out of the situation. That's what's important. And I think that's a big thing. I mean, wouldn't you say it's like getting out of the situation, not necessarily, you know, winning the fight. If you've got a 110-pound woman being attacked by a guy that wants to mug her or rape her, her goal is to break the hold, injure the guy enough to, to create some space and get the hell away. Absolutely. One of the one of the things that I really come back to is, is some training I had with a company called SDG International. And uh, D, uh, D, who's one of the main instructors there, really teaches and hones this concept of, Buddies, weapons, and options. So you're always looking for not only your buddies and who you can get to help you out in a situation, but you're also looking at the buddies that your adversary may have that can use that they can use against you. Um, you're looking for what you can use as an improvised weapon if you had to. What kind of weapons they might have. Of course, you're always looking at someone's hands. That's a really important aspect of any combatants program. And then options are how can you best get out of that situation? You, you know, obviously your goal isn't to to totally maul somebody into submission and, you know, in that situation, you want to get out of dodge. I mean, that's really your goal in any kind of combative situation. And if it's not, you're, you really have the wrong mindset to begin with. Yeah, I mean, maybe I should note you were uh, one of our uh, people that we used when we did the uh, videos with Val Ryazanov. And if you remember, we had uh, a situation where we had a big, big MMA fighter named Tony and a, and a former football player named Tyler, and we put them in an arrangement where we said, you guys go at it like you're going at it. And while they were doing it, I walked behind them and touched Tony on the kidneys, and they, he didn't even know I did it. I said, well, his buddy just walked up and put a knife in your kidneys. So the people that are trying to win the fight are off, often subject to that attack by the buddies, as you put it. Yeah, exactly. Um and that, you know, in turn kind of makes a good segue into situational awareness, too. I mean, while you're looking for those, the options and buddies and weapons, you're also, you also need to have, you know, be able to hone your situational awareness to know what's going on around you. I mean, that's a, a big part of any type of um, combatives program or situation you might wind up in. And I think that helps you avoid the damn thing in the first place, which is what we all would really like to do. On situational awareness, though, I want to keep moving down your list. Your number two one, and, man, I was glad to see it, there's navigation. Uh, because I think there's – that's to me, that's part of situational awareness. People, especially when they go to, like, a city they've never been to, and they don't even, like, look at a map before they get there. They don't know which way is north. Uh, and, you know, this myself, I was in Denver recently. It's the most confusing damn place I've ever been to, even though I did look uh, that stuff up. But I think there's a lot of people that wouldn't even know how to get out of their own town – if the way they always go wasn't available. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, that kind of even goes back to a lot of, you know, what you've preached on survival podcast too, which is, you know, even having a plan, you know, know what your family is going to do in, in an emergency and, you know, have routes planned out and meet up places and, you know, rally points along the way to, I mean, even from a practical, you know, kind of uh, look at it from that perspective, it's, you know, you need to know what, everyone that's important to you is doing it if a you know disaster were to occur or something along those lines. But but I guess navigation as a whole, not only from that perspective, but you know, it kind of goes back to the options in the buddies, weapons and options. You always need to have a you know an escape plan, you know, a way to get out of any situation. So navigation is very key to that. And are there some things that people that you know maybe they're not going to go orienteering in the uh, Bitterroot range uh, can do to better prepare themselves for that beyond just a plan, like knowing how to use different navigational aids or tools or things like that. Simple stuff, uh, highly technical stuff, GPSs, maps, what have you. Yeah, I'm a big proponent of 
Terrain Association. I think that's one of the first things that I would preach for somebody to know is is really being able to to look at the terrain you're in and know how to read a map in accordance to that. I mean, really, that's going to be able to to pinpoint your direction much better than a compass and a map would if you if you had no prior knowledge of of the area and you happen to have a map on you. Um, I really think that uh, that that's key. Um, obviously, just even a basic you know map and compass course that you can take from an outdoor store is going to help you tremendously in that regard too. Yeah, I've also always been big on people learning some basic navigational rules. Like one of the things you learn when you do uh, primitive navigation is that you can do a sun compass by taking a stick, put it in the ground, and then tracing the shadows with a couple rocks, and you get an east-west line. So if you don't have a compass, I can still find east-west. If I can find east-west, I can find north-south, and I have a basic oriented knowledge of where I'm at and where I'm going. Well, you know, Ron Hood, I had him on the show, and he pointed out to me, well, if you looked at a shadow being cast by a building and threw a couple pebbles down, you don't even have to stick a stick in the ground, and the same thing works in an urban environment. So I think the more options as you're putting it you have, the better off you are, because I love GPSs, but sometimes they don't really work very well. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, as if, as in any electronics, an electronic device, it's going to fail, and you have to plan for that. So, you know, having... The, uh, the primary means of navigation at your disposal is, is definitely key. We, we do have a series we put together in ITS, if anyone's interested. It's called Navigation 101, and we kind of walk through a bunch of those different steps everywhere from, you know, learning train association, which I mentioned, to, you know, learning how to use a compass. So Very cool. The next one you have is fitness, because if we're going to be doing all this stuff, we have to be in some level of shape. Now, like I said, today's for like the common person, but I think the common person can also take some concern, at least for their, their basic fitness, because as everybody that's a long-term listener and reader, listener of my show and reader of your blog knows, you can do 100 push-ups. Uh, not everybody out there is going to be able to do 100 push-ups, but what are some basic, I guess, like functional fitness recommendations you have for the average person? Yeah, you get it rubbing in, and I lost that bet. <laughs> yeah, and I don't, you know, I, side note, guys, um, Brian and I had a bet for who could put the most Facebook fans on in a, uh, in a month, and I won, but you, you've like doubled me now. I don't know what happened. It was like you guys went nuts on uh, Facebook there. Well, everyone saw my push ups and rallied. You know? I see. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway, um, yeah, what, something that I really advocate on ITS and something that I advocate just in my personal life as well is a term I like to call functional strength. Um, that term is nothing I made up. It's been around forever. But the way I like to explain fitness as a whole is that you don't have to be a Superman. You know, just as I was mentioning earlier, you don't have to be, you know, Chuck Norris from Delta Force to no combatives. But you don't have to be some beast that's in the weight room pushing 400 pounds. I think that's stupid, honestly. And, you know, no offense to everyone that spends their time in a weight room, but that's not functional to me. That's not going to actually help you get over a wall if you had to in an emergency. It's not going to help you climb a rope. Um, that's just muscle mass, and that's not what functional strength is about. Functional strength is, it's you know, it's it's in all of us. Everyone has the ability to do, to uh, use their upper body strength and, you know, to get themselves out of the situation. That's more what I'm advocating here when I say functional strength and fitness. And you do have some stuff uh, about that on ITS Tactical. We do, yeah. We have uh, some articles on, you know, developing push-ups. We have some articles on rope climbing and things like that. And like I said, we, we really try to take that approach with it rather than, you know, say, you know, here's the cut and dry. This is how it has to be. This is how, you know, we recommend to work out. And we don't ever want to try to preach anything like that on ITS. We definitely want to try to stick, stay along the lines of functional strength. Very cool. And then the next one you have, you actually helped me out with this one, lockpicking. Um, so I think a lot of people look at that and go, well, lockpicking, isn't that kind of for cat burglars or locksmiths? Uh, but it, it's really a real-world, real-life skill. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the reason we started, I guess, kind of talking about lockpicking on ITS was to, uh, to give everyone an indication of the illusion of security, as we like to say. So by learning... Lock picking and learning. Um, actually, there's a whole underground movement called Locksport. I don't really want to say underground because it's actually quite a big community now that basically it's turning into a sport, really getting there and picking locks and things like that. So um, essentially, 
as I was mentioning, the illusion of security is kind of what lockpicking will enable you to discover. So as you start learning the skills of lockpicking, you start learning how easy it is to pick a, you know, a, a basic pin and tumbler lock, the more you start to analyze your own home and you think, well, maybe my locks aren't as secure as I thought they were. So that's really kind of the, the essence of it. And then there's also the aspect of, hey, if I know how to pick a lock, I can get myself into my house if I had to, and I don't have to spend $100 on a locksmith, just as in uh, as what happened to you with your, your lock on your truck, too. Yeah, folks, I had a, uh, a hitch lock, a fairly difficult lock to pick, honestly. I, I've been playing around with this a lot since I met Brian, and I got some lock picks and watched some of Brian's videos, and in like five minutes I was able to pick like all the deadbolt locks in my house, which were slag and, you know, pretty good locks, but this lock was... Uh, Real small keyhole entry, and he had to go down there and pick the tumblers like one tumbler at a time, but he was able to get that hitch off my truck and save me quite a bit of money because I know a locksmith would have dinged me uh, good for that. And then, uh, Brian, I don't think I told you this story yet. I locked my office, and I locked myself out of my office when we were going away uh, the last time we went away down to uh, down to Dallas where you guys are at. And uh, I was really – I felt like a failure because I couldn't get into my own door uh, with my lock picks. Well, I had a locksmith come out with one of those electric guns, and mm -hmm. uh, he couldn't get in. He was here for like 15 minutes. He couldn't get in. He ended up going in a different door and around another way. Um, but he was never able to actually successfully breach this lock. So next time you're up here, we'll see if you can do it. Yeah, that's a challenge for sure. <laughs> yeah, you have one of those ones that's like, you know. So I do think it's a very valuable skill. I've used it quite a bit since uh, since watching your videos on it. And it's actually, when you talk about the illusion of security, um, the first time I tried it and I went to one of my deadbolts, the deadbolt that went out to my garage and I put a little tension on it and started playing with it. And like, you know, it took me like maybe 30, 40 seconds and then the lock just turned. And yeah. it really does change the entire way you look at a lock. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, locks are, there's that old saying that locks are just to keep honest people honest. And that's really how I feel about them too. It's, you know, a lock is, is simply something that can be bypassed. So. Okay, cool. Well, the next one on your list is medical. That's a pretty broad topic. So, so when you're talking about the, you know, the person that's not going to go to EMT school, or you went to some cool stuff. You went to a place like where you learned like some veterinary emergency medicine. So you learned to do things that were applicable to hum, you know, to people that you would never be able to do to a person unless it was an absolute emergency. But for the person that's just the average person, you know, kind of going, what do I need to know? Uh, what are you talking about there? Well, I mean, essentially that comes down to just being able to to do as much for yourself and your loved ones as you can without needing, you know, medical help, really. And that's really the, the core of what, what I mean by saying medical. And that goes for just even taking a simple CPR class. You're that much more prepared. Um, going to a wilderness medicine course, I mean, you're even that much more prepared after something like that, too. Um We, we talk a lot of, on ITS about TCCC, which stands for Tactical Combat Casualty Care. And that's something the, the military has developed um, really to, to treat wounds on a battlefield. But it's starting to come into play not only in law enforcement but into to other private sectors as well just because it makes so much sense. Um, we talk a lot about that on ITS, and it, it really breaks down, uh, I guess, what happens in combat to – to a couple of different levels, um, the first being care under fire. And I won't go into it too much, but really it's it's taking the perspective of what to do in an emergency situation, you know, for a gunshot wound and things like that, and really kind of putting these basic principles in place on, on how to deal with that. So we kind of market a, we call it an ETA kit, and I'm, you know, not to push products, but it does kind of go along with what I'm talking about. Um, the kit we have is kind of to treat the three leading causes of death in the field, And that's tension pneumothorax, which is a collapsed lung from a gunshot wound. Um, uh, let's see. Extremity hemorrhage was the first one. So the E in ETA stands for extremity hemorrhage. So that's severe bleeding, things of that nature. And most of that, you know, can be cured with, you know, simple pressure, like a pressure dressing. But there are times where we need something a little stronger, like quick clot, to stop that bleeding. Um, as I mentioned, the T is, stands for tension pneumothorax, which is the gunshot wound. And then uh, airway obstruction is the other big one as well. So not only if, you know, you get, not to get too graphic, but get shot in the face and, you know, have to uh, have an adjunct airway to, to be able to breathe. So 
that's kind of taking it to the extreme, but, you know, all of us could be in that situation, especially all of us out there that have concealed handgun licenses. That's that's the reality, you know. The reality is that you're carrying something that fires a bullet, and, and one could be fired back at you as well. Yeah, I, and I think one thing maybe people need to look at with this, too, even if they're thinking, well, that's a bit extreme, is everything you're talking about is a traumatic injury. And a bullet is one way that each of those traumatic injuries could occur. Uh, going through the glass window of a car and having the, your, your major artery severed in your bicep is another way. Uh, having a puncture wound uh, to your chest from some other type of injury is, is another way to end up with a tension hemothorax. So there are other things that could cause these traumatic types of injuries other than being shot. Um, I just had Frank Sharp from uh, Fortress Defense on, and he had a student. They went to this whole thing about learning to, to treat people for gun injuries, uh, and one of the things he met, recommended is that people have a um, uh, Israeli battle dressing. And uh, It turned out that one of his students immediately got one, made sure they had it as part of their kit, and some little girl ran into a freaking dumpster and gashed her head about two inches deep into her head and uh, was bleeding like a pig. And that same technique was applicable. It didn't have to be a gunshot wound. Correct, yeah. I mean, absolutely. I mean, honestly, pressure uh, pressure dressing like the Israeli, that's something we have in our kits too, is going gonna, is gonna to take you know, nine-tenths nine of what's going to happen out there and be able to, to treat it. Yeah, um, I kind of disagree with Dave Canterbury on the whole medical kit thing. He's like, yeah, you don't really need one. If you can't fix it with a cloth and duct tape, you need a helicopter. I, I think that's a little – I love Dave, but I think he's oversimplifying things there. You've actually proven the effectiveness of quick clot, haven't you? <laughs> yeah, unfortunately. <laughs> uh, I gashed my foot open one morning thinking I was Batman and being able to see in the dark coming through the, uh, the bathroom door and – um, thought I just stubbed my toe and looked down and there's probably a, I don't know how much was there, but tons of blood all over my wife's nice bathroom rug that I ruined. So, um, I kind of hobbled my, <laughs> my butt in the office and grabbed some quick clot and decided to see how it works. So it, uh, it <laughs> remarkably, it worked as advertised. So you said it was like instant. Like, I mean, the second you did it, 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 it you, you were actually shocked at how well it worked. It really, I was. Yeah. Does it burn? I would think it would burn. No, and that's the good thing about really? with now. They have combat gauze, which is kind of what we carry, and you don't necessarily have to be in combat to use combat gauze. It's sure. kind of a misnomer, but essentially it's it's gauze that's impregnated with the kaolin, which is the material that's in combat gauze that stops the bleeding. It's a, a coagulant, basically. And uh, they used to have a granular quick clot, which they first started making back when, uh, around the time when the war was first starting. But they used to dump that granular powder into a wound, and it would cauterize it by burning it. Um, that's That was one of the things that happened. And now with the combat gauze, it's, it's totally heat-free. It's just impregnated into the gauze now, and you can use it just as, as you would regular gauze, too, which is another benefit of carrying it is that it kind of does double duty not only as a, as a hemostatic agent, but also as regular gauze if you need it. So, so I mean, I, I definitely, you know, no, no problem with you mentioning your, your products here. Your, your, uh, your kit is something I'd recommend everybody have. I have one myself. Are there maybe some other items that you would recommend that people have as a basic kind of first aid med kit level of stuff? Yeah, um, just kind of getting into basic terms, I would, I would just say, you know, obviously – one of the things I like to, to kind of go around with is just a pack of combat gauze and, and, and a tourniquet. I think those are two great things to carry with you anywhere, anytime you go anywhere. And uh, those are two excellent items to have. Um, another would just be a regular pressure dressing like the Israeli, like you mentioned, and, you know, some tape and some gauze and things like that. You don't really have to get crazy with it. You don't have to have a, you know, one of our ETA kits to be prepared. It's It's really about... Obviously, anything you have is going to get you to that next level. It's going to be able to to stop the bleeding and buy you more time. That's really what you're trying to do is buy time. Um, obviously, with a gunshot wound and combat gauze, you're just trying to buy time to get to EMS. And the sad fact in this country is that most police officers, and we, we saw this, unfortunately, with the Tucson shooting, is that most officers and people aren't prepared to deal with with a mass trauma like that and solely dependent on EMS to save them, really. And, you know, you preach this just as well as I do on ITS that, you know, in a disaster, guess what? They're not coming. It's it's on you. So the more you can do to be prepared in that situation, um, the better you're going to be for yourself and your family. 
I also think most people don't understand how easily it is for a local system, even when they are coming, to be overwhelmed. Uh, our, our cities are not set up for your paramedics and EMS people to have to respond to 50 or 60 people injured. They're just not set up for that. Uh, that's, that's beyond their capability to deal with. They're set up to deal with 50 or 60 a day in individual incidents. They're not set up to deal with all those individual incidents in one mass trauma incident. So you can be part of the mass trauma incident and be on your own for a while, or you can be a, a part of the individual incident during a mass trauma incident and also, again, for a long time, be on your own. And you can yell at the 911 operator all you want. There's only so many responders, and they're human beings just like us. And they, they have a, a spatial and temporal limit to what they can do. Yeah, absolutely. I completely agree with that. You so, know, just, go ahead. Go, no, no, I'm, I'm, say I'm sorry. There. Go ahead. I got a delay on Skype. Go ahead, Brian. No worries. I was just going to say that, you know, an emergency, there, you know, help's not coming. That's really what you need to count on. So. Cool. So we'll move on from medical because we could probably sit here for like two days talking about medical alone with as, as, as wide as it is. Your next one on your list is driving. And, of course, you know me and Ask Clown Drivers, but uh, I, I know you mean some other stuff. The first time I met Brian, folks, I got an email from him. He says, I live near you. I've got a site kind of in the same realm as you do, and I've got some videos on YouTube. And all. You were just starting out. You had like three videos on YouTube, and you were showing like these badass like bootleg turns and stuff. And when I met you, I said, did you guys rent that car? And you're like, uh-huh. Uh, so when you talk about driving, you do mean taking it to a level of beyond just being able to get from point A to point B. Yeah, really what I mean is evasive driving. And that doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, you're going <laughs> to become a rally car driver and, you know, be able to, uh, to take hairpin turns and J turns and, and uh, bootleg turns and things like that. But it, it, what it really comes down to is being able to, again, handle yourself in any situation. And, you know, just taking it from, you know, the average layperson's perspective, you know, what if you decided to, you know, drive to the store and you had someone that decided to follow you home and you want to lose that person. You don't want them finding out where you live and things like that. So it, it, it could really be, you know, as simple as that, or it could be as broad as, you know, someone coming up in, uh, and deciding to pit you or ram you and, you know, knock you off the road and how you'd be able to recover from that and continue to drive. I think people need to realize that stuff like this does happen. It's not just a third world phenomenon for people to be carjacked by, you know, I've seen stuff like where a guy will run into you from behind but not really damage your car very much, and then you get out to talk to him and his buddy jumps in and takes off. So that kind of ties in the tactical driving and the situational awareness together. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, like I said, evasive maneuvers are great, and you know, I'd highly recommend that you know you take a Saturday and go rent a car. And of course, the rental car companies are probably gonna probably gonna get emails about this, but you know, <laughs> rent a car and get insurance, and you know, really try to maneuver a car. You know, don't use yours if you, you're worried about <laughs> screwing it up. You know, that's why they offer insurance at rental car companies. And get a say, you guys. I want to point out, Brian and, and his folks did this in a safe environment. They didn't do this on on highways. They went. You guys went to like a big park, empty parking lot, or something like that to do these demos. Yeah, we had permission from a uh, property owner to do it there, so we definitely were safe and secure, and make sure that there was no traffic coming and things like that. So, and are there courses on stuff like that where you can learn that type of driving? There are. Um, there's some great courses out there. Um, I. I, I'm going to bastardize this name. I know it, but um, I think it's BRM or I think it's something like that. But there's uh, definitely some uh, courses out there, and I'd highly recommend any of them. I, I think that even just putting yourself in a situation from any instructor, learning about something like this is, is very important. I mean, we spend our lives in our cars. I mean, most people commute on a daily basis, and you're probably in your car way more than you think you are, and, you know, the likelihood of something happening in your car is real. I mean, you know how many auto deaths there are per year, way more than, than other things. So, you know, obviously if you can even avoid an accident with those skills that you learn, you'll be way better off than the person next to you. So, I, I would also say from a preparedness standpoint, if you ever end up in a bug-out scenario, and now, folks, you know me, I'm not talking about the road warrior, I'm not talking about the Dukes of Hazzard and going on two wheels sideways, but there are probably things that can be incorporated to getting out of a place, especially when traffic is tied up and things like that, um, that a, a competent 
uh, tactical driver is going to be able to extricate themselves from uh, a, a, an area that you need to get out of better than someone who's just basically uh, one of the ass clowns I used to yell at on my daily commutes. <laughs> yep, absolutely. <laughs> Next one you got here is knot tying, and you do a lot on this. I, I've seen and I've learned a ton from you uh, from your videos on like your knot of the week videos and stuff like that. But to the average person, says, "Man, I need to tie my shoes," and uh, that's about it. Uh, what do you got to say on on the value of having uh, knowledge from from a knot standpoint? I would say the value of it really comes from uh, the skill set itself and knowing how to to be able to make different things uh, if you had to in a survival situation. Um, you know, most people are correct. Every day, you know, you're not going to have to to tie different knots to to save your life or anything like that. But the knowledge that comes with being able to, to tie knots is, it goes a lot further than just having it in your, in your skill set and in your brain. But I'd say primarily it would be, um, you know, I guess it could be in the urban survival situation. It could be in, you know, you going up to Home Depot and needing to tie down something and having the knots that you know at your disposal to be able to properly secure something so it doesn't wind up um, as road debris like all the other stuff out on the road. So it, it really could it, – it's a very wide topic. Um, we try to to not only show knots that, are, that can be used for practical purposes like a, a square knot and things like that, but also show – even decorative knots and ways to store paracord so that you can have it at your disposal. And, and that's a lot of what we've been doing in our latest knot of the weeks is really trying to find different ways to, to be able to carry paracord on it because paracord is one of the most versatile tools you can have in your EDC or your everyday carry and definitely a, uh, definitely a practical thing to have as well. You know, I mean, because I look at it this way from, like, a wilderness standpoint. Like, two things that I always want in a kit if I'm going off the trail for more than 50 feet is uh, some sort of cordage and a knife. And with those two things and not knowledge, I can basically make almost anything else that I need. Containers are really high up there. But as far as shelter, as far as traps, as far as uh, even navigational aids to a degree, if I've got cordage and I've got a, a blade, I can probably manufacture what I need. I can even make cordage. I can go out and, and use nettle branches or um, agave or many other things and fabricate cordage, but it takes time and energy. Uh, to me, they're like the, the knife and, and, the, and, the, and the cordage are the two most valuable things you can possibly have if you need to build something else. And to me, I guess knots tie that in. Uh, your thoughts on that? And additionally, maybe some like the primary knots that people should know how to tie. Um, yeah, sure. I, I agree with that. Um, I'm sure you'd agree too. You know, fun, fire is probably primary as well. But you know, obviously, if you have cordage, you could get that done as well without having to have something to start fires with. But um, I would, uh, I'd say, primarily, I think the, and I'm going to get a ton of people that call me out on this, but I call it a bow line, which uh, refers to the bow of a ship, which is naval terminology, and I was in the navy, so that's what I call it. Uh, most people say bowline or something like that, but I'd say that's a very primary knot. Obviously, you know, a square knot, most people know how to tie a square knot, but you'd be surprised how many people I come across that can't. Um, and that's definitely, I'd say, a primary knot. Um, let's see, one I really like is a sheep shank. Now, and that's not technically a primary knot and what I'd call a primary knot, but it's a way of taking a, a rope and fixing it, basically. So if you had a, a splice or something in your rope and that was almost rendering it useless, you could tie a sheep shank to take the tension off of that damaged section and continue using the rope. So there's lots of practical applications with knots, and many of them I consider primary, but you know I could talk all day on knots. <laughs> and you do have an extensive set of videos, uh, and we'll kind of link to that for the audience on, I mean, basically, you've done, I, I got to say, over 100 knot videos alone, probably. Yeah, it's it's getting up there. I'd say there's uh, almost 100, if, if not 100, for sure. That's very cool. And, folks, I think it is one of the big skills. I'm glad Brian put it in his list. Um, because I do, I think, as I said, if you can, if you can bind things together, you can, in, a, in an urban environment, especially where there's so much garbage and, uh, resources, you can probably, pretty much fabricate anything you need to fabricate. But getting two things linked together when you can't just whip out your DeWalt and a couple bolts, uh, not so the way they did it before those things existed. Um, moving on, you have another one here called digital competency. What do you mean by that? 
Well, that's kind of a, one I kind of threw in there, but I think it's important. Um, I'd say that, you know, in today's world, digital is everything. Uh, computers are everything. We're on computers right now talking over Skype. And I guess we're probably the exception to most people as far as recording a podcast. But um, I'd say that probably 80% of people out there are using computers in their daily lives. And to not harness that as a skill set and then not continue to learn how to use computers and to embrace technology um, is really not the way to go in today's world, if, you know, according to me. <laughs> so um, I really think that... Uh, that learning computers and learning that skill set and being able to better yourself and your knowledge on computers is only going to help you in the future, if not in the immediate, in the me, uh, sorry, immediate future. So. And what are some things that you rely on uh, digital media, I guess, for? I mean, obviously, both of us make our living with it. Um, but from uh, from a tactical standpoint, are there some things that are very uh, beneficial uh, to you from the digital world, maybe some programs that you use or apps that you use or anything like that? Yeah. Um, one thing that I think is probably one of the biggest things that people don't think about is just the relative size of data nowadays and how much you can store on something so little. Um, I'm really a big advocate of, of keeping, um, I guess, my life information almost on a little portable drive that someone can access. And I'm not talking about bank numbers and things like that, but just personal information if I were to get hurt or something that someone could take a look at and say, oh, this is who he is and um, this is probably a good contact number for him. And a lot of people are doing that on their phones too, even – you know, people were taking iPhones and turning the lock screen into a to an ice thing or in case of emergency. Um, but there's lots of things you can do to integrate that type of thing, um, even in terms of having an encrypted drive and keeping all your your bug out plans or your your plans that you and your family have of, of getting out of a situation would be a great idea, too. So. And in fact, you, um, one of the other cool things I, I found out about from you is there are some ways if you wanted to carry digital data and you didn't want anybody, like some of it you want found, but some of it you might not want found, you have some pretty cool uh, supporters of your show that have a way to do that, don't you? <laughs> yeah. Um, there's something called a, called a SpyCoin. There's a company called Spy, SpyCoins.com, and we're actually working with them currently on um, developing a, a challenge coin that's going to hold a little mini SD card in it so you can keep that kind of data safe and secure and uh, to have that with you on an, a challenge coin that would basically break into two halves and you'd have that small little drive or uh, card contained in there so no one could see it. But they also offer things like uh, quarters and nickels and basically it's taking that whole theme of spy coins um, from uh, – I forget his name. I think it's Abel or something like that. It was one of the first people to uh, to smuggle microfilm in a in a hollow coin. But it's kind of taking to that that little spy uh, aspect of it and, and turning it into something cool to to hide things in. I think they're awesome. I've got a quarter one, and you you, you can tell if you know what to look for. <laughs> um, but but you also, if you get one, folks, and you use like a quarter or a nickel, I would actually recommend something like maybe a 50-cent piece or something like that that you typically wouldn't spend anyway because it would be very easy for you to spend your quarter if you had it as pocket change with your other change. It uh, The only way I really can tell is there is a little bit of weight difference, but that's hard to sense. But if you flick it or bang it on something, you can tell by the sound that there's that hollow spot in there. But the seam is impossible to see. It comes with these little rings that you bang on a desk to open them, and uh, they're really cool. I, I got a couple of them because I'm a, a supporting member of Brian's site, and he has a special deal for you there if you support his site where you can get them on a, on a discount. And I've got one of your prototype Challenge Coins ones. Those are those are pretty cool too. Yeah, we did a little prototype with them just to see what the response was going to be like, and it's we had a great response to them. People really liked the idea of being able to carry something like that in a, in a coin and especially having something that they can distinguish between their pocket change so they don't sell it or uh, don't spend it. Yeah, because you're not going to spend your ITS tactical uh, uh, challenge coin. So I, I thought that was a really cool idea. We might look at doing something similar uh, over here because I do think it's an awesome idea. Um, the next one you have is home security slash assessment. Um, we already kind of talked about the illusion of security from a lock, but I think you're taking this to another level here. Yeah, I really am. I'm really with this point. I kind of want to address the fact that not only 
you know, should you know about locks and be able to, to assess your lock situation on your home. But really being able to do as much as you can to prevent a home invasion situation. And that's, that's really scary for everybody. And that's the reality of it is it's happening every day in America. Um, not only from people kicking in doors, but, um, from people getting uh, basically kidnapped against their will at, at a store when they're walking to their car. I mean, it's really a reality. And, um, Obviously, situational awareness plays a big part in this, but also being able to to look at your home and to properly assess what where your vulnerabilities are and where you can, you know, upgrade your home and make certain changes and modifications to to enable you to to defend against that. And that's that's really reality. I mean, everything from um, <laughs> I guess making sure your windows are locked to checking under your car for IEDs. Uh, I know, obviously. <laughs> Not all of us are going to have to do that or need to care about that, but I mean, it really is reality. I mean, just the fact that we're more accessible than we think we are, really. So, yeah, I wanted to point this out to you. I want to get your thoughts on it. I, I don't remember what magazine, but I was recently reading a magazine when we were traveling, and there was this little magnetic device, and it was being marketed to people that would own, let's say, a fleet of vehicles. And it was basically a GPS with a USB uh, jump drive type configuration. So this wasn't a transmitter that would actually transmit back. You put it on a vehicle. Um, after the vehicle gets back, you take it, you plug it into a computer, and it shows you everywhere the vehicle went, when it was there, for how long, and where it stopped. And I guess if you have a fleet of delivery drivers or service technicians or something like that, and the thing was it was very, very low cost. These were like 40 bucks a piece. Um, so that would make it easy for the small business to keep a track on that. And I, I guess I see a place for that. But I also looked at that and went, let's see, if I want to rob somebody or rob their house, uh, I could buy one of these, stick it up on the frame of their car, wait a couple days, come back, and I have it, if they, especially if they don't practice any kind of level of OPSEC, Uh, as far as taking different routes and all, I know when they're going to be, where they're going to be, how long they're going to be there. Um, and I don't think most people would eat. And so you mentioned like an IED under your car. And, okay, most of us probably are not going to have some terrorist strap a bomb to our car to blow us up. But that vulnerability is huge. And, it, and that's off the shelf. You don't have to be special to buy that product. Yeah, absolutely. I, I've definitely seen those. And I've even seen them marketed to, uh, to parents for teenagers to keep track of where they go. Um, and that's, that is reality. I mean, literally someone could stick one of those under your car and, you know, obviously you're not going to find something off the shelf at a Home Depot to, to protect yourself against that. But really knowing what to look for is important in that situation as well as, um, maybe even have, having something that reads kind of a radio frequency ID that would pick that up too. So. My big concern with those, Brian, was is they're not a transmitter, so they're just a receiver. So they're not really putting out a lot of, of detectable signal. Um, and I, that was really – I looked at that. Like my wife was, well, I guess it's kind of neat. Like you said, you know, if you had a kid you're worried about or, you know, and I'm like, man, the first thing – you you know, I know you're even worse than me with this. I showed you motion detectors, and you wanted to know how to de – you know, how can I disable them? So, But that was the first thing that went through my head. I'm thinking if I'm a bad guy, I'm ordering for them, you know? Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I think that's definitely a reality. What are uh, some things people can do around their house or, I mean, around their lives on, on this matter of making their homes more secure? Something that, that I really try to even tell all my friends about, too, is a company called uh, Door Devil. And what they make is a – it's basically called an anti-kick plate, and it's something you can install on any home and back – or home front and back door or any kind of uh, – uh, out exterior access door that will prevent it from being kicked in. And that's, I think it's a great product. Um, I personally demo one myself. I've tried to kick in a door with one of those and I've, you know, I've seen that they work. I have a couple of police officer friends here in the Fort Worth area that, that swear by them too. They've, they tried to uh, get into a house of a suspected drug dealer and they had one of those on the door and they literally were uh, pounding on it with a battering ram and couldn't get in the house. So, Um, that's, that's a great upgrade to a home. I think, um, that's something I try to tell everyone about. Another is, uh, is we did a video on this too, is, is ensuring that your garage door is secured. A lot of people have automatic garage door openers. Um, there's some security issues, not even with people being able to get the codes and just go along with a little transmitter and open people's garage doors. But you can even take a, uh, you know, something like a coat hanger, and grab that little emergency release that's on a garage door and just 
basically drop the garage door and you can pull it right open. Most people don't have a lock on their garage door and that's a huge security risk too. We, we made a little video on how you can zip tie that little portion of the, uh, the garage door so that it can still be released in an emergency as it's supposed to, but you're, no one's going to be able to take a little coat hanger and, and disable that. So there's a lot of things um, that you can do around your house to, to not only secure it more, but to, to make your home less appealing to a criminal that might be watching your house as well. I like have dogs. I think that's always a great one. Dogs are great. Um, a pair of size 14s on the front porch might discourage you. Even making sure your bushes in front of your house are trimmed low so no one can uh, hide behind them to, to get into your windows. My thought was, you know, I keep reptiles, was, uh, to put up a sign that says, danger, venomous reptiles kept on premises. Because <laughs> there are people that have an irrational fear. And I think anytime we can bring that out in people, uh, the, I'd rather them go somewhere else. I think most criminals... Uh, unless you're targeted for a specific reason, most criminals are like water. They take the path of least resistance. Yeah, uh, it's something that I just thought about when you were talking about that is a sign I saw a while back. I think it's from a, from Gunsight, one of the, the top gun training institutes out there, but they made this little yard sign that said, nothing in this house is worth losing your life over. So um, <laughs> I, I thought that was cool. I've always wanted one of those. <laughs> the, the sign I never bought that uh, that I wish I could get was from a gun store down in Jacksonville when I was a kid. They were giving them away for free back then, and I, I just don't have one anymore. But it was a picture. It looked like a, probably like a thirty eight or a three fifty seven Snubby. Uh, he's from the front as though it's pointed at you, and you can see the hollow points in the chamber, and it just said, I don't dial 911. And then I, I this, it was a great marketing play, because I mean, this was a kid, and I can still tell you the name, the, the, the name on the bottom of the sticker, Southside Gun. Um, and, and to me, that's a deterrent as well. I guess some people would say, though, then the person knows that you're armed and expects that, but I, I think that most people that break into a house presume that there's a good chance they're gonna get shot to begin with. Reinforcing it can't really hurt. One is, you know, especially in Texas with the castle law. So yeah, yeah, we we have a law that says if you break into our house and you shoot you, not only is it okay, but we've done the right thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I, you know, I, that's why uh, that's why I like Texas. Arkansas is pretty similar uh, laws and has their own castle doctrine. So uh, I'm glad I didn't lose that when I moved up here. Your last one, I think, is the most important, and it's something I talk a lot about, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on it, and it, you simply listened it, listed it as mindset. Yeah, um, I think the reason for saving that for last is it's it's primary. It's the most important thing out of any of these ten to- or nine things we've talked about this far. I think without the right mindset, all these other skills are worthless, because if you're not ready to act when you have to or to be able to employ one of these different skill sets when you need to, it's worthless, you know, in essence. I mean, mindset is everything. And what are some of the things people can do to, like, maybe put a check, you know, a checkup on their mindset if they're thinking the right way? Well, I think that it comes down to a lot of uh, personal values as well. I think that that's – it's one of those things that's important, but it's also – up to each individual to really kind of look within themselves and find out what their what they feel their capabilities are. And, you know, a lot of it's just, you know, I learned that in the Navy and, you know, going through what I did in the Navy and going through Hell Week is that the mind controls the body. The body does not control the mind. So having the skills is worthless unless your your mind is controlling your body. So, I mean, that's really what it comes down to. I think there's a big thing for like taking all of this stuff that you learn and not learning it, doing it once and then saying, okay, I know how to do that. And they put it away like a tool in a box that you need to practice these skills, develop the muscle memory because when you're depending on them, you know, you're not going to be in the situation where you have time to think about it. You're going to have to act. I mean, when you were talking about medical training, I thought back to my, uh, combat medic training in, in the, uh, in the, uh, army where when you were going to each station and you were you know, assessing a victim and determining what you were supposed to do, you had a grader that was basically telling you, okay, here's what's, and he was being decent, you know, here's what's wrong. And when you were checking things, he'd tell you whether you got a vital sign or whatever. And, and okay, now, you know, what are you going to do? And then right next to him was another, uh, instructor who was screaming in your ears, you're killing him. You don't know what you're doing. He's going to die because of you. He's got children, you know, like doing stuff like that. And it was like simulating the stress as best they could because they couldn't actually shoot at you. Uh, in spite of what you saw Clint Eastwood do, that, that exact type of live fire training doesn't really exist, at least in my experience. But you didn't even have to go to that level. People need to do this stuff 
if they're going to have it in their their mental uh, faculties and be able to do it when it when it's called upon, right? Absolutely, I couldn't agree more with all that. Um, you know, that's that's definitely primary as well. I mean, not only do you have to have the mindset to to be able to employ those, but you have to know what you're doing. You know, when the time comes. So obviously, the more you can get out there, and the more you can practice the stuff, and the more you can hone these skills, the better off you're going to be and the more you're going to do it when the time comes and not even have to think about it. Awesome. Well, folks, I'll tell you what. I know I've mentioned Brian a lot on the show. Now you've heard from him. You know why. Uh, I cannot recommend highly enough you go over and check out his site. And again, Brian, your site is? ITSTactical.com. And, and that you, stands for Imminent Threat Solutions. And you've got some cool stuff in your store there. You want to maybe mention just a few more of the things that you're uh, you're making available to people? Sure. I mean, we have a lot of promotional merchandise, just like anybody, but um, a lot of, I guess, kind of one of our primary things that we, we do sell is that ETA kit I mentioned, which is um, to treat the three leading causes of death in the field. And as I mentioned earlier, it doesn't have to be necessarily carried because you're going into combat. That The things that are in that kit can, can definitely save a life, and that's what it's all about. I mean, we, you know, I know I'm... I feel, seem like I'm pushing products, but I'm really not. I'm, I really do care about people, and I care about lives, and that's really what it comes down to. And, you know, how much is your life worth? That's really what you have to ask yourself. Um, whether you buy that kit or you put together your own, it doesn't matter. Just, you know, have something, and that's really what it's all about. Um, another few things we carry are we do actually carry some lock picks because we, you know, kind of put our money where our mouths are in terms of, uh, you know, providing you the tools to, to develop those skill sets and you know along with the hundred or so knot tying videos we made we're finally going to get around to start selling paracord here in the next couple weeks so definitely look for that as well and uh you know that's pretty much it i hope that you guys all will come check out its tactical um we definitely have a ton of skill set information and everything that we've gone over here today um we do have articles about on its um we've got a pretty extensive uh uh, knowledge base going on the site and definitely come over and share with the community yeah folks I'm going to recommend not only do you check out his site subscribe to Brian's uh, YouTube channel his Facebook page uh, there's a tremendous amount of information over there and you just did a redesign about I guess about six months ago where you made things a lot more organized where people could find things you kind of split up the skill sets into different sets so it's real easy to find the content on this particular uh, skill set you're interested in learning more about right absolutely Well, very cool. Brian, again, thank you for joining me today on the show. Um, I, folks, I, again, I just can't recommend you check out Brian's side highly enough. He's not just a good personal friend. Uh, I consider him one of uh, one of my favorite professional, professional contemporaries. And uh, ITSTactical.com is a site you should definitely check out before the sun goes down today. And with that, today this has been Jack Spirico along with Brian Black helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Sometimes we forget we are what we eat. I don't know the answer. It's like there's nothing I can do. It's the price we pay, I guess, when we follow all the rules. There's a better way to do this. Let me show you a better way. Nobody up there cares.